We're going to read uh, our scripture reading now from Romans chapter 6. We're going to read from Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through to 7, verse 6. You can find this on page 1132 in the Bibles in front of you. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you're slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You've been set free from sin, and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you're weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death, But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives. For example, by law... A married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So then, if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's released from that law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. 
For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So reads the word of God and we thank God for his word. Well, do let's uh, take our Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 6 and the first part of Romans chapter 7, these uh, very important chapters and uh, uh, not straightforward chapters in some ways. I think there are things here that I I really felt I wish I grasped a little bit better. Maybe that will come across tonight, but uh, really important messages from uh, this part of God's Word for us, Romans chapter 6. Once a child was questioned by his granny about what he had learned at church. She said, uh, well, what was the minister talking about today, grandson? And uh, he said, sin, granny. And she said, well, what did he say about it? And the wee man thought for a while and he said, I think he was against it. (laughs) And that's a pretty safe summary to give to your granny about sin, I guess. But it uh, might be the case that we really don't know what else to say about it. We, we know it's not good. We know we should be against it. Um, but we do suspect there's more to it than that, don't we? And, and in our journey through Romans, we, we come to some chapters that say a lot about sin. They, they really, the position of sin is, is, is very, very important here, chapters 6 and 7. And as Paul outlines the basics of the gospel, he, he knows that we need to know about sin. We need to know what it is and what it does and how it affects us and how we should battle it. And what we have seen is that Romans has been telling us, Paul has been telling us in this book about how we who are sinners can be made right with God. And let's just pause there for a moment and, and make clear what it means to be a sinner. Our catechism says chapter, or question 14 of the Shorter Catechism, uh, ask what is sin, and the answer is, sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. So, so you see there that w- what it's saying is there's two aspects to sin. It is both breaking God's law on the one hand, but it's also falling short of God's standards. Sometimes we say sins of omission and commission. So we do what God says we should not do, and we don't do what God says we should do. And then there's another dimension to sin that's, that's particularly helpful, I think, to add, and that is that we have misdirected our worship. So rather than face towards God and worship, we have turned away from Him. So there's a basic rebellion that underlines our sinful, underlies our sinful actions. So, so sometimes people say we're not um, sinners because we sin. We are, we, we sin because we are sinners. We, we've turned away from God, and so we live in these sinful patterns. And so one of the ways that we sum this up, and we do this with our children here, and it's been really, really helpful, and we, we say this every now and again here in church as well, is this little uh, phrase that we teach our children. That, that there are actions that go along with it, which I couldn't remember. So, so uh, we'll, we need to check up on that. But sin is the bad things that we think and say and do. It's the good things that we do not do. It's saying no to God and going our way instead of His. And, and you see that that 
covers both the fact that we are rebels, that we're uh, those who have turned away from God, we're sinners, and the fact that we do wrong and we don't do right. Sin is the bad things we think and say and do. It's the good things that we do not do. It's saying no to God and going our way instead of his. And Romans tells us that Christians who, who sin, who are sinners, are made right with God. God justifies us. That's his, his big theme. It's not by what we do, but it's by what God does. It's not something that we have earned. It's by God's grace. It is his gift to us received by faith. And his gift is not given to worthy people, for there are no worthy people, but it is given to sinners. And in fact, Paul has just said at the end of chapter 5, and Stafford made reference to this last week, that where sin increased, God's grace increased all the more. Now, all of this raises a big question for us. Well, how do we deal with sin? Those of us who've been made right with God, do, do we just ignore it now because we've been forgiven? Do we set ourselves against it like the little boy's preacher? Do, how, how should we think of it? Well, well, these chapters are going to tell us a lot about that. Before we jump into them, however, maybe again, let's step back and take a slightly uh, wider view. You know, from time to time, we, we recommend uh, Christian books here that we suggest would be good for us to read. And maybe you're developing a little uh, Christian library somewhere in your house, a number of Christian titles. Well, I wonder if you would imagine what your Christian library would look like if you were a believer in Scotland in the 18th century. I, I came across a little uh, a thing that said that there were four books that were common to just about every Christian library in Scotland in the 18th century. I wonder, can you guess what they were? The first one was the Bible. There would have been a family Bible of some kind. The second one we've already referenced. Shorter Catechism, yes. Don't shout it out all at once. Uh, the, the, the third one, anybody know? Pilgrim's Progress, best-selling book in the English language at the time. Now, the fourth one you'll probably not know. It was a book by a man called Thomas Boston, published in 1720, and called Human Nature in Its Fourfold State. Human Nature in Its Fourfold State. He was a Presbyterian. He had a huge influence on Scottish Presbyterianism. And that book described human nature in four different, as it were, chapters through human history. And here they are. There's a little table. We're going to fill this up. So Thomas Boston, he had great hair, great hair. And uh, four stages. Uh, primitive integrity was the first one. Entire depravity, begun recovery, and then consummate happiness. And, and uh, primitive integrity, that was Adam and Eve before the fall. Entire depravity, that's fallen human beings without the Lord Jesus. Begun recovery, that's Christian believers in this world. And consummate happy, happiness, that's believers in glory. Now, you can see that it follows that sort of classic Christian framework of all of history, creation, fall, redemption, consummation. It also leans very heavily on an earlier Christian thinker, uh, St. Augustine. And uh, Augustine, uh, the Americans say Augustine and uh, English say uh, Augustine, and I keep on switching between the two. 
uh, Augustine, he, he talked about four things. He talked about able to sin, not able not to sin, able not to sin, and not able to sin. Now, let's think about these. Sometimes they're described with the Latin words. If you did Latin at school, you might hear these. If you watch any R.C. Sproul videos, you'll hear R.C. Sproul using the Latin posse, peccare, non-posse, non-peccare, posse, non-peccare, non and non-posse, peccare. I had to look it up. Um, but what, what Augustine and Boston after him were saying was really, really important. Uh, our relationship to, to sin can be, can be different. So Adam and Eve were perfect and pure but they were able to sin. And of course, they did sin. That led to the fall. And when they fell, fallen humanity was plunged into a situation where we were not able not to sin. Now, that, that, was, that was you and me before we became Christians. If you're here tonight and you're, you're interested in Christianity, but you're, you're not yet a Christian, this is describing you too. Uh, we, we naturally turned away from God. We, we did not have faith in Him. And everything, the Bible tells us, everything that does not come from faith is sin. Even our, our good works are like filthy rags. So we're not able not to sin. Uh, we're therefore helpless. When a person becomes a Christian, however, a tremendous change takes place. It maybe doesn't look like it, but it is a dramatic change. We are able to sin, of course, still, and we do, but we're also able not to sin. We're also able not to sin. With the help of God's indwelling spirit, we can say no to sin and yes to God. And then when we're in glory, we will be not able to sin. There will be no possibility of messing up heaven, as it were, of falling from that glorious end. <clears throat> so, so here we are tonight, and if we're Christians, we've come to this third position. We're going to draw a little red box around it. Uh, we've come to this third position, able not to sin. Now, we do sin. We know that, but we are able not to. Now, now it is this state, that's a very long introduction, but, but it is this state that these chapters of Romans speak into. Here we are. We have been justified. God has declared us to be in the right. So now, as those who are uh, redeemed, those who have begun recovery, according to Thomas Boston, uh, what is our relationship to sin? And uh, Augustine tells us that we are able not to sin. Romans is going to tell us that too. Now, this chapter is pretty involved and, and a little bit difficult to understand at points, but I hope we'll, we'll see its overall burden this evening. It's introduced by Paul answering an objection. And that's what he does, actually, for the next number of chapters. He's a seasoned apologist. He's had many discussions, and he knows what questions he gets, and he anticipates them, and he answers them, as it were, ahead of time. And you see it there in chapter uh, 6, verse 1. What shall we say then... Here he anticipates the question, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Remember what Paul's been doing? He's been praising the powerful gift of God's grace in response to our sin. And if our sin has been forgiven uh, and we do not have to pay for it, uh, well, could it be that we just could live as we wanted and then there would be somehow more grace? Okay, so you think about that. So we've all heard maybe testimonies of someone who has 
has you know lived a pretty wild life they've been involved in some pretty wild things and 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 we've maybe come away from from that story and we thought my goodness isn't isn't god tremendous that 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 even someone like that who maybe was so set against god that that he could save him isn't god's grace tremendous and so could we say well having been saved there's a certain logic to this well if we were to carry on sinning, wouldn't it give more cause for people to say, isn't God's grace tremendous? Now, there is a sort of a logic to that, as I say. There's a sense in which, there's almost a sense in which if that question does not arise in our heads, we we maybe have not quite grasped the freeness of the free offer of the gospel. But while there's a certain logic to it, it's an entirely wrong logic. And Paul says that. He stresses that in what he says next. Verse 2, by no means. If you've got an authorized version in front of you, you'll see it says, God forbids. It's a really, really strong statement. That would be to go in entirely the wrong direction. And and what happens then in the rest of these verses in this chapter and into chapter 7 is that we're given a number of pictures and illustrations that really make one big point. And that is that when we become Christians, we are under new management. The the, the old is gone, the new has come. We're under new management. You know, sometimes you see that sign on on a restaurant or a cafe. Uh, Maybe there's a a cafe that's had a bad reputation. You know, you get food from it sometimes, but then you don't feel so well afterwards for a wee while. And it's not uncommon to see the environmental health people nipping in and out and changing the two stars to a one star. Standards are poor. And then eventually, it's taken over. And everything changes. The old cracked tiles are are replaced by new stainless steel surfaces everywhere. And and, and there there are new staff in. And and the whole thing is transformed. And the place becomes the place to be. And the queues are out the door. It's under new management. And everything has changed. And, And Paul is saying that this is what has happened to the Christians. When we become Christians, we are under new management. When we are under new management, the old has gone and the new has come. To go to the cafe illustration, the old dodgy menu has been replaced with a new healthy and delicious life-giving menu. And there are three pictures that he uses in these verses that drive home this theme of being under new management. Baptism, slavery, and marriage. Those are the three illustrations that he has. So, think about these. We'll go through them fairly quickly. Uh, Baptism. Look at verses 3 and 4. Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. When we become Christians one of the things that that happens to us is that we're brought into what we call union with Christ. Stephen was praying about that earlier. We're we're, we're united to Christ. And all sorts of things flow from that. In some ways, baptism signifies something of that. And and Christians are, are connected to him, connected to Jesus, so that in a sense, what happens to Jesus, it happens to us. I think one of the old Puritans, Thomas Goodwin, used to have this illustration of a giant with a belt with lots of little hooks on it and little people all hanging off it. 
And we're, there we are. We're, we're tied, as it were, to Jesus. He, he is our, we, we're united to him. And, and, and as he triumphs, so we, we triumph. Before that, we lived under the reign of sin. It ruled over us. It has some claim on us. We were, we were not able not to sin, as, as Augustine said. But in Christ, we have died to that. And now sin no longer reigns over us. You see, verse 7, for the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, we've not been set free from the presence of sin, but we have been set free from the the reign of sin, the dominion of sin. You know, you know if, it's a difficult thing to, to think about, but if a person has an outstanding speeding ticket or a fine against them or a court appearance due, and, and that person dies, well, all of, those, all of those claims of the law, as it were, are, 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 are empty. They've gone. And we have been set free from sin's reign because when we became Christians, we died in Christ. We were crucified in Christ. Now, there's more that we could say there, but, but let's see the applications that, that Paul makes here. There's a way to think and a way to act, he says. You see in verse 11, so you, must, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The NIV has Count yourselves dead to sin. But, and and here is, here, here's how we think, therefore. We, we think, that old me that used to sin naturally and normally, that, that old me has died. I, I don't live under that anymore. That, 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 that then sin was natural. Why wouldn't I sin? But, but now I'm alive to God. And sin is now completely inconsistent with who I am. My identity is that I'm alive to God. And this is not positive thinking, wishing something were true when it's not. It actually is what God has done for me in Christ. And so becoming more like Jesus is becoming more like who I really am. That's how I think. And then how I act, well, Paul goes on to describe how we're to act. And in a sentence summary, it's that we don't offer ourselves to sin, but we offer ourselves to God. We, we, we turn away from sin and we, we turn to God. It's my new life. You see, it's not just a, a negative thing that we've been delivered from the dominion of sin. It's that we have been then made alive to God that we might live for him. So you see, we're under new management. The old menu is gone, but it's been to be replaced with a new menu that brings life and health. So that's, that's baptism. Slavery. It's being a slave. Once we were slaves, we were slaves of sin. We did what it wanted. We pursued it. We practiced it. But now we're under a, a new management. We're slaves of righteousness. This is picked up from verse 15 and following. And we're slaves of righteousness, that's in verse 18. And we're slaves of God in verse 22. Again, we've been delivered from this bondage to sin. Now, you notice that we're still slaves. And, and some of us might say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I'm super comfortable with that language. I, 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 I really like the idea of being set free as a slave of sin, 
but can't I just be a free person? Do I have to be a slave again? Doesn't sound so good. Well, actually, that's not on the table because we were designed to be slaves or servants. Often the word is the same word in the Bible. We're designed to be bound to someone. Sometimes it's paralleled with the idea that we're designed to worship something. We're designed to put something at the center of our lives. We're designed to serve something. Bob Dylan got it right, remember? You've got to serve somebody. You've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. It's not much of a choice, is it? It's pretty obvious. Thanks be to God, we're under new management. And it's just his grace that brings us here. That's what's emphasized in that well-known verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wages are what you earn. If you're a slave to sin, you earn death. It's your rightful reward. If you're a slave to God, you are gifted eternal life. You don't earn it. It comes out of the overflow of his kindness. So you see, by by God's kindness, we've been brought from being slaves of sin to being slaves of God. That's great news. Being a slave of God is great news because he's a great master. He doesn't treat us badly, quite the reverse. Look at what it says here. Being a slave of sin leads to shame and death. Being a slave of God leads to holiness and eternal life. Who would you rather serve? It's quite obvious, isn't it? slavery. There's a third picture, and that's marriage, just a word or two. If a woman is married and her husband dies, then she's free from all the obligations and ties to that marriage. That marriage is over, we say, till death do us part. And she's then free, of course, then to to marry again. And and Paul uses this to contrast the relationship with the, the law and with the Lord. Now, one of the things that that is tricky to figure out as we go through these passages, is what the law refers to here. Sometimes it refers to the, the Mosaic law. Sometimes we would say nearly the Ten Commandments, for example. Sometimes it, it, it seems to mean, and it might mean this here, the condemnation that comes from breaking the law. We're condemned by the law. It's pointed out clearly that we were guilty. And now that marriage to the law is over because in Christ we died and so we're married to him. It's a wonderful picture. Chapter 7, verse 4. You also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to God. There again is that lovely positive emphasis one part of it is that we've been set free from the old way of things, but you've been brought into this new relationship for something. And here it's to bear fruit. Earlier it's offering ourselves as instruments of righteousness. You see, the the, the cafe of your life has been taken over in order that you might serve him. The old menu is gone, but the new dishes are to be prepared so that the attention will be drawn to how great this new management is. So you see these three pictures then, baptism and slavery and marriage. We've covered a lot of ground, but they're all saying the old is gone and the new has come. We're under new management, and that means that our relationship to sin has changed. Because we are in Christ, we have union with Christ, we are 
able not to sin. We're alive to God. Now, sometimes we who are Christians still live as if we were under sin's reign. We we forget what has happened to us. Came across a story of a couple who got themselves locked in a cupboard and uh, they eventually panicked after quite some time and they rang the police to come and get them out. The police broke into the house and then came, opened the door of the cupboard and uh, a couple were just delighted to see them. But but it turns out that the door of the cupboard was not locked at all. And, and the police actually got into the cupboard and said, can you get out of this cupboard? And they said, yes, I can, yeah, it's fine. And, and they had spent all this time fretting and they were, in, they were in this cupboard and all they needed to do was, was walk out of the cupboard. They really were free, but they were living as if they were trapped. We can be like that. We've been set free in Christ, but sometimes we just live as if we've not been and we're just defeated by sin. Martin Lloyd-Jones used a tremendous story of of the the freedom of American slaves. (laughs) Emancipation, that's the one. There came a day in the States when when all the the, the slaves were were, were set free, legally they were set free. And, And for some who had been uh, treated terribly and, and, and in slavery for maybe a long, long time, they didn't easily live as if they were free. Sometimes they trembled at the approach of their old master. Or, or they asked for permission to do the most basic of things. And he says this. This is what he says. It's on the screen. You can still be a slave experientially, even when you're no longer a slave legally. Whatever you may feel, whatever your experience may be, God tells us here through his word that if we are in Christ, we are no longer in Adam. We are no longer under the reign and rule of sin. And if I fall into sin as I do, it is simply because I do not realize who I am. And so he says, realize it, reckon it. Do you see who you are tonight? If you're a Christian, under new management, sin does not reign over you. You're alive to God. A couple of minutes. Just let's earth this with a couple of little applications. When it comes to sin, of course, there are two errors. One is that we might think we can be free from it in this life. But the very fact that Paul has to urge his readers to avoid offering themselves to sin and uh, uh, offer themselves rather to God is an indication that this will be a lifelong battle. We're going to see more of that uh, next time. And of course, First John uh, tells us that anyone who claims to be without sin is a liar. So, so we know that that's not the way to go. The other error is what's addressed especially in these verses, and that is that we, that we might get ourselves into a position where we think that sin's not really a big deal, or it's inevitable, or it's inconsequential. And Paul says, no, 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 by no means, God forbid, you're under new management. There's a new menu in operation here. And you see, one of the things that this means very practically is that you cannot say, and I cannot say, oh, well, I had no choice. When it comes to sin, Christian brother and sister, we have a choice. And if we sin, it is because we choose to sin because As Augustine said, we are able not to sin. 
Paul says this elsewhere, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. We can't say we have no choice. And that means that we must fight sin. We're going to see more of this next time. But because we are under new management, we can fight sin. Maybe some of us have called a truce with sin. We've said, this will do. I'm holy enough. That happens a little bit as we get older, doesn't it? We go, I've, I've got through to this level, and this will do. And, and, and this is telling us, no, 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 this, this, this won't do. Christ has so rescued you and me that as chapter 7, verse 2 says, that we should not live in it. We should not live in it. Oh, sorry, chapter 6, uh, verse 2. And, and, and he says, and th- that means that, that, that we don't tolerate it. Whenever we sin, it, it, it's got to grieve us and it's got to drive us to repentance. And we've got to give ourselves to putting sin to death and making progress towards Christ-likeness. Old Bishop Ryle, J.C. Ryle, in his book on holiness, said this, the child of God has two great marks about him. He may be known by his inward warfare as well as by his inward peace. We're all about the peace, aren't we? We want the peace, but we don't get the peace without the warfare. Because we are under new management, both of these things are true of us. So, here's the question tonight for us to answer here in the presence of the Lord. How's the battle going? Christ has rescued you so that you could fight. Able not to sin. Let's pray.